with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Friday edition. Usually we start with the Friday morning front burner from CBC News. Unfortunately, it is way too long for us to get any kind of panel in this week. So instead, we're going to replay Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. And we will have the full uh, Friday morning edition coming up on Sunday evening, 10 o'clock, and a replay of today's show uh, on Monday, the holiday Monday, at 10 for your after nine. So stay tuned. The panel coming up in about a half an hour. After discussing with cabinet and caucus, after consultation with premiers from all provinces and territories, after speaking with opposition leaders, the federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau yesterday, with a measure to stop the protests that have choked downtown Ottawa and critical border crossings for weeks. Something that's been used ever, but it exists for a reason. The Prime Minister said this measure would be proportional and targeted. The Emergencies Act will also allow the government to make sure essential services are rendered, for example, in order to tow vehicles blocking roads. In addition, financial institutions will be authorized or directed to render essential services to help address the situation, including by regulating and prohibiting the use of property to fund or support illegal blockades. And finally, will enable the RCMP to enforce municipal bylaws and provincial offenses where required. He also said, separate from the act, the government has been stopping people from crossing the border to join the protest. And Trudeau said what his government will not do. We're not using the Emergencies Act to call in the military. We're not suspending fundamental rights or overriding the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We are not limiting people's freedom of speech. We are not limiting freedom of peaceful assembly. We are not preventing people from exercising their right to protest legally. We're going to be heading to Ottawa to see what the impact of this will be on the ground. And we hope to bring you that episode a bit later in the week. But today, I wanted to step back and ask how Canadians are feeling. Not just about this pandemic, but also the restrictions and the backlash. Pollster David Coletto of Abacus Data has been watching public opinion very closely on this. And he's here today to break it down. Hi, David. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. We're nearly two years into this pandemic. And at this point, how are Canadians in general feeling about the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I think everyone agrees that we wish it wasn't still on and are tired and fed up with how it's affected our lives. That being said, I think we are moving towards uh, a real shift in how people are perceiving the pandemic. Most still believe, 60% believe that COVID-19 is still more dangerous than a typical annual flu. Uh, Most still believe there is some risk 
um, and they're worried about contracting uh, the virus. But I also think there is a growing number of people who think it's going to be with us and we just need to figure out how to live with it. But, you know, despite what we're seeing with the, with the convoy and, and some of the protests, the vast majority of the country remain aware that there is a virus still out there. And that means we have to be thoughtful about both individual decision making, but also the public policy response to that uh, risk that the, the majority of the country still believes exists. Can you give me some numbers, how, how that breaks down? When you say most, what do you mean? Yeah. So, for example, when we ask people which of the following best describes how you feel about COVID and the risks to your health, 69% say there is some risk, but a lot less than before. 20% say there's still a high level of risk and 11% saying no risk at all. And as you might imagine, there's some differences by age. Older Canadians throughout the pandemic have been slightly more likely to, to have higher risk perception about the pandemic than those who are younger. And so that's, that's, that's one point about it. Um, similarly, when we ask people, you know, when you think about the restrictions today, how do you feel? Just about half, 49% say they describe uh, the restrictions or the protections in place as about right. Hmm. Uh, another 37% say it's time to loosen them up and 14% actually believe it's time to tighten them up. Uh, particularly those in parts of the country that have seen uh, some of these restrictions already lifted, like, say, Alberta or Saskatchewan. It is time to remove these uh, restrictive and damaging health measures. It's time for us to learn to live with COVID. It's time for each of us as individuals now to make a conscious effort to treat everyone in our daily lives that we encounter equally. It's also time for the proof of vaccination mandate to end. So effective at midnight this Sunday, February the 13th, all provincial proof of vaccination requirements will end. In Saskatchewan... So again, if you combine the, the about right group with even those who say it should be tightened up, that shows still a clear majority of the country who says, I'm not ready to, to move to a phase of this pandemic where there are no universal restrictions or, or protections on uh, what people can and, and shouldn't do to you know, go to a restaurant or fly on a plane um, or whether or not there should be vaccine mandates for some of those things. Yeah, that's interesting to hear uh, you're saying Alberta wants measures tightened up. And do you have any thoughts on why you're, you're seeing higher numbers in Alberta than in other provinces? Well, I think, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan provide like a case study because they have moved quicker than other jurisdictions to loosen some of the rules, right? I think today is the first day that kids don't have to wear masks in schools in Alberta. Um, so, for the, you know, Albertans are still as likely as Ontarians or Quebecers to say, loosen them up. But there's more of them who are saying, actually, I, I want these rules tightened back up. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that signals to me not everybody in Alberta is thrilled with the direction that province is moving when it comes to the provincial protections or rules around uh, the pandemic. I want to spend some more time with you in a, in a moment digging into specific pandemic responses. But first, I wonder if we could just talk a little bit here about methodologies. So, so like, what's the margin of error on these polls? How big is your sample? What, like, what should we keep in mind when you tell us these numbers? Yeah, great question. So this survey was done from February 8th to the 13th. So we finished it on Sunday morning. Uh, we interviewed 1,500 uh, Canadian adults, 18 plus, 
And the sample, it was done online, but the sample was representative of the Canadian population by age, uh, gender, uh, region, official language, um, and education. And it's the same methodology we would have used during the election, which you know, most pollsters in Canada actually did pretty well at, at sort of estimating where the vote was. And it allows for us to, because of the sample size, to look at some of those regional or demographic or, or political differences that that might be dividing the country on, on some of these issues. Okay. And so now let's look at the specific pandemic responses. So, so what are you hearing from people about vaccine mandates specifically? How do they feel about the mandates? Yeah, we, we find again, uh, there's going to be a common thread in our conversation. About two thirds of the country want to continue to see a mandates or restrictions or, or protections and about a third are open to, to, to seeing them lifted. And that's, that's true of vaccine mandates as well. Specifically, when we ask people, you know, which of the following comes closest to your view, uh, 63% say for at least the next year or two, it's a good idea to require people to get vaccinated against COVID-19 unless they have a valid medical exemption to avoid another major outbreak. On the other hand, 37% say it's too big an infringement on individual choice and vaccination should be encouraged but not required. As you might expect, those fully vaxxed are on one side more or less and those who are Mm -hmm. not vaccinated almost universally think it's a right that should not be infringed upon. But, But that view that the vaccine mandates are something that's not just about today, but also about the future is really important because in our survey, 70% of Canadians believe that it is either certain or likely that a new variant will emerge that will be actually more dangerous than Omicron. And so that's the public psyche right now is this like deep defensiveness about, I just don't know what's next. It's interesting though, like uh, the people who, who think that vaccine mandates are an overreach, there's certainly some overlap there between people who are vaccinated. It's like there's definitely then a good segment of vaccinated people who don't believe in mandates. Absolutely. About a third, actually, of those who are fully vaxxed say we shouldn't require this going forward. And I think, you know, I would, I would refer to them as like the reluctant vaccinated, right? They mm. did it because they had to, but they weren't thrilled that they were forced to. Right. Does your political affiliation influence how you think about about vaccine mandates? To some extent, it does. So, you know, if you voted for the Liberals or the New Democrats in the last federal election, two thirds of them support continuing to have a vaccine mandate in place. A a quarter don't. You know, not surprising, those who voted for the People's Party in our survey, 82 percent think that vaccination shouldn't be required. So they're opposed to mandates. Um, And then you get the Conservatives, the Greens and the Bloc, which is more nuanced. You still have a, a majority in all three of those parties who support a mandate, but you get some more sizable minorities within those party bases that says they shouldn't be. And so partisanship has something to do with it, but it's not the only thing. And one of the reasons why is what's been fascinating to me as a social researcher, especially in the last few weeks, is to see the age divide on some mm. of these questions. The younger Canadians, if you're under the age of 45, you're far more likely to want the vaccine mandates lifted than if you're older, particularly if you're over 60. And that's a reverse from how people often vote. So we know younger Canadians typically are less likely to vote conservative. But on this case, they're, they're actually more aligned to more conservative politicians in the country than those who are older. 
who we also know are more likely to vote conservative typically. So it's what the pandemic in the last few weeks has done is kind of reshuffled uh, where we often agree politically with 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 folks in the country. And and age seems to be the biggest driver of that. like too obvious a question, but why are younger people more inclined to want these mandates lifted, vaccine mandates think, lifted? Yeah, I think there's two reasons. One is we know from, from other data that young uh, people have been most affected from an economic perspective, right? They're working in jobs that have been most disrupted. You know, I teach at Carleton University. I talk to the students there. They say, look, my life's been on hold for two years. I've had to interact with colleagues virtually in, in class and you know, I haven't been able to to travel and, and do all the things you kind of want to do when you're in your 20s and, mm-hmm. and 30s. And then for parents, if you have young kids, well, certainly the pandemic in most parts of this country has been deeply disruptive. And so I think that plus the desire to see a more social life again means that young people are just far more impatient, uh, want to get on with it and also keep in mind they're less likely to think this virus is a risk to them. And so you mix all that together. And I think that that helps explain why younger people are more um, supportive of, of lifting these vaccinations and also interestingly supportive of the Freedom Convoy, which I know we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, yeah, I, I am very interested to hear that. But before we do, I just want to talk about mask mandates specifically. Um, that what you're seeing, is it similar to vaccine mandates? Did anything different stand out to you when we're talking about masks, actual mask mandates? Well, in this survey, we asked an interesting question that I think is so insightful to where people's heads are at. It asked people, if the restrictions were lifted by health authorities and governments, would you be comfortable doing each of the following without a mask? Comfortable only if you were wearing a mask or not comfortable at all still? Um, flying on a plane, only 17% say they'd be comfortable flying on a plane right now without a mask. Going on public transit, about same number, 19%. Mm. Uh, going grocery shopping. Right. Something that most people feel comfortable doing still. Um, but the vast majority say only if I'm wearing a mask. So even if you lift vaccine mandates, and this is the, the challenge I think policymakers have is the vast majority of Canadians, particularly older Canadians are going to continue to wear a mask in most of the activities that require one today. And right. so that's a signal that even if public policy moves in a direction, it may not actually change people's behavior all that much. So, so is it fair for me to say that we are not exactly seeing some mass Canadian movement calling for all the pandemic restrictions to be lifted here? Yeah, there's no majority support for it. There's sizable minority um, view, and I think it has shifted in the last few months, but it's still it's still the minority viewpoint. If you if, if, if public opinion aligned firmly with public policy decisions in most jurisdictions. In fact, in all jurisdictions, we'd still have most of the restrictions in place that we do today. Um, but I do think people are open to starting to move away from some. For example, I think one that could probably go pretty quickly is the requirement to get tested to come back into Canada because people don't necessarily see that as an effective way of limiting the spread of the virus. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. 
We'll have uh, part two of that show in a moment here on After 9. The Beat is back March 6th with the Street Beat donation drop at the Q3 building. It's a fundraising event for St. Vincent de Paul featuring seven local bands, including Far From Linear, Deuces Wild, and Genevieve Jade. Venue City is available and the event will be live-streamed on Facebook. All donations will go directly to St. Vincent de Paul. Full details at the Street Beat donation drop page on Facebook. That's the Street Beat donation drop on March 6th from 2 to 9 at 1299 3rd Avenue, a presentation of 93.1 CFIS-FM and Happy Drummer Promotions. At the YMCA, we continue to provide frontline pandemic supports to our community, including essential childcare, mental health services, and assistance to seniors. We believe that health is a right, not a privilege. We need your help now more than ever. Ensure that our community continues to have the supports it needs to thrive. Visit nbc.ymca.ca and make a gift today. The Q3 Creative Business Hub is now open for space rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Rent a 100-square-foot office for as low as $470 a month, Wi-Fi included. Just need a desk to get out of the house? Use one in our open office environment for $260 a month, $160 for occasional drop-ins, or just $20 a day. For more information, email q3building at gmail.com. Q3 Creative Business Hub, open for desk and office rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Forecast from Environment Canada for today. Periods of rain ending this morning, then cloudy the 30% chance of showers. Wind from the south at 20K gusting to 40, a high of 4. Tonight a few showers ending after midnight, then cloudy, a low of 2. On Saturday mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers or flurries late in the afternoon, and a high of 3. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now the second segment of Tuesday Morning's Frontburner from CBC News. We've been seeing for weeks now these protests against pandemic restrictions and, and one of the refrains that you'll hear from the protesters along with Freedom and F. Trudeau is like, we're doing this for our kids, our grandkids, we're doing this for you, we're acting on behalf of Canadians. But what, let's, let's, let's talk about the protests now, what does your research mm-hmm. show about how Canadians are feeling about these protests? Well, it, again, lines up very similar to all the other data we've talked about. Um, there is support for it, um, but it's about one out of four Canadians, 28%, say they either strongly support or support personally um, the Freedom Convoy and their demonstrations in Ottawa and across the country. But the key point is that almost half of Canadians continue to say they're strongly opposed to this convoy and to the protest, and another 13% said they oppose. You put those together and you're almost at 60% who oppose it, only at 28% uh, who support it. And then you have 13% who say, I don't have any clear views on this, who say, uh-huh. I don't want to take a side. And and so it's not a mass movement, but that's millions of people out there, though, mm-hmm. who do mm-hmm. the common cause and connection with what's going on in Ottawa and elsewhere. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not nothing. Talk to me a little bit more about the politics. Like, I, I understand you've also looked at how people would feel about their member of parliament supporting the country. Mm. Yeah. So we asked, you know, if, if your member of parliament um, either supports or supported the freedom convoy, how would that impact your vote for that person? And 24% say they would either definitely vote for that person or be more likely to, but again, the majority clearly again in the side of, I don't want my, my elected officials, uh, most people saying connected to this, 
And if you look at the politics, particularly the conservatives and the risk, and I, and you noticed it in the last few days that, that there are far fewer conservative MPs who now are outright supporting. Um, I don't know if you'd have Andrew Shear, the former conservative leader, taking a selfie with the truckers today because mm-hmm. even among conservative supporters, 43% say they'd be less likely to vote for an MP who supports or supported this. So the mood, I think, has shifted and what we've seen is a divergence between support for the convoy's ideas around the restrictions around COVID and the way and the persistence and the disruption that they're causing. Um, and that's forced, I think, political leaders to to have to change their own strategy when it comes to this. Right, right. Interim conservative leader Candace Bergen has now started to call on them to leave, even though she initially supported them. to some, there are thousands of passionate, patriotic and peaceful Canadians on the Hill right now who just want to be heard. Will the Prime Minister extend an olive branch and will he listen? To all of you who are taking part in the protests, I believe the time has come for you to take down the barricades, stop the disruptive action and come together. The economy you want to see reopen is hurting. Farmers. Zooming out again a a little bit, are Canadians happy with the way our political leaders are handling the political response to the pandemic? I would say less and less so. And and one of the indicators is, you know, you've heard this being talked about by some political leaders that Canada has never been more divided than it is today. Mr. Speaker, our house in Canada is not just divided, it is becoming fractured. Those divisions are in our families, yes, they're in our communities, but they are across our province and they're across this nation. From a positive and unifying approach, a decision was made to wedge, to divide, and to stigmatize. I fear that this politicization... Uh, So I asked a question. Do you feel Canadians are more divided than usual, about as divided as usual, or less divided? And 60% say they feel we are more divided than usual. Interestingly, it crosses the political spectrum, it crosses regional lines, even crosses demographics. So there is a sense that it feels like we're more divided. And so when I ask people, who's to blame, or or who do we point the finger at, um, of those who think we become more divided, political leaders like Prime Minister Trudeau are high up on the list. Um, but the Conservative Party is not immune to, to criticism. And so I think what's happened is what we see is that, generally speaking, most Canadians support the public policy choices that our governments and health authorities have made. But I think when they look at how or why political leaders have emphasized certain policies, they are less thrilled. And they are feeling that this issue has become over-politicized and is now leading to the things that we're all talking about, which is the convoy. So yeah. I do think it, it's it's a kind of pox on all your houses. There's no one who's who's sort of being blamed far more than any other. But I think the heat often goes to the guy at the or gal at the top. And in this mm-hmm. case, the prime minister, I think, is feeling it, which is why, you know, um, on Monday, we, we, we got word that he was the government was going to bring in the um, Emergency Measures Act. And I think yeah. that's because the pressure had just built so much that Politically, he couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore and the federal government had to get involved. Yeah, yeah. And I know this is anecdotal, but I I have been 
surprised that people in right orbit have been talking so much lately about how angry they are the politicians have been using the pandemic to score political points. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they are expressing. Their bodies belong to them. They are masters of their own decisions. And instead of listening to these people, the Prime Minister has insulted them and name-called them and left them with no choice but to, to engage in legitimate and peaceful protest. If he wants to put an end... Well, just consider this. In the same survey we did, one in four Canadians say that a relationship they have in their lives has been harmed because of the pandemic. So it's not just our politics and our democracy, but people's own orbits are being tossed around. And not that everybody pays attention to what's going on in Ottawa and then it affects their day-to-day lives, but there mm-hmm. has been a general politicization, whether you know in our own day-to-day lives at work or in our politics at large, that I think has got to the breaking point that people are saying, we're almost out of this pandemic, but what is the long-term legacy going to be of having to have dealt with it? And I don't know the answer yet. Yeah. And, and before we go to that, you know, I understand that despite the fact that there's this pretty clear majority that's okay with pandemic restrictions, you know, I, I do wonder how much of the division Canadians say they're revealing is actually more about polarization. Like, I don't think we'd ever expect a society to agree 100% on all issues. But I wonder if feelings on either side of the divide, they're just, they're just getting so strong. It is. And we asked the question, and we asked people on a scale from zero to 10, zero meaning you really dislike this group or this person, and 10 meaning you really like them. How do you feel about the supporters of vaccine mandates? And then how do you feel about the opponents of it? And your point about polarization is really important. Most people in Canada say, I like supporters of vaccine mandates because most support vaccine mandates. But the divide between how they then say they feel about those who oppose them is pretty stark. And so we've come to the point on on these issues where we look at the other side and say, I fundamentally don't understand you. I don't Mm -hmm. know how you could get that vaccine or how you could not get that vaccine. And therefore, I don't even want to associate myself with this. And so, yes, we're not divided in the sense that like we're split 50-50, but we're polarized. And that creates anger and it creates frustration and it creates people occupying our capital city and being willing to do it for, for over two weeks now. So, it, it no, it is feeding that, that, that polarization for sure. David, thank you so much for this. This was super interesting. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. All right. So before we let you go today, some news from the Coots blockade at the Alberta-Montana border. The RCMP says it arrested a group of 11 militant armed protesters within the larger blockade. The police say they seized handguns, body armor, a machete, and 13 long guns, plus high-capacity magazines and ammunition. Police also say a tractor and a semi-truck attempted to ram a police vehicle Sunday night. All right, that is all for today. I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 
On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is Tuesday morning's Front Burner from CBC News. You can also catch Front Burner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. When After 9 continues in a moment, it's uh, Eric Allen sitting in as the host this morning for your Friday panel. Theatre Northwest has a great spring workshop for novice playwrights. Playwriting for Artists with Julian Legere is for theatre artists new to playwriting. Participants will explore the craft of playwriting and write a draft of their own 10-minute play. For more information or to sign up, visit the Playwriting and Theatre Youth Camps link under Shows and Events at TheatreNorthwest.com. Playwriting for Artists with Julian Legere, starting March 28th at Theatre Northwest. The Council of Seniors has once again partnered with the Community Volunteer Income Tax Program to help low-income seniors file their income tax. 15-minute appointments are available on Tuesday mornings between 9 and 11 and Thursday afternoons between 1 and 3 for the months of March and April. For qualification details and to book an appointment, call the Council of Seniors at 250-564-5888 or stop by the Seniors Resource Center at 7th and Victoria. Bring your favorite papers and drawing tools to Two Rivers Gallery Tuesday evenings for self-directed life drawing. Easels, clips, and drawing boards are provided. Just bring your desire to create and a drop-in fee of $20. Registration is available through the link in the Featured Programs section at tworiversgallery.ca. Self-directed life drawing, Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 through March 8th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. The Heart Pioneer Center has lunch available for pickup Monday through Friday. Now available at a new price of $10, order the day before by calling 250-962-6712 and then pick it up between 1130 and 1. Stop by the center for this month's menu. The menu is subject to change without notice, but it's always delicious and affordable. The Heart Pioneer Center weekday pickup lunch. Call 250-962-6712. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Uh, this is your host for today's half hour after nine. Rez is taking the day off. So for guests today, we have Albert Kohler, Art Bedke. These are the people that are on our uh, panel. Um, Herb Martin and Peter Ewart. So I'm not sure everybody's up to speed on what's going on in Houston, but I want to just start off with that because it's 20 some odd people <coughs> created a lot of uh, damage. Uh, at the uh, the pipeline site there, and uh, we're talking a couple million dollars in damage. And I think I know, Peter, I think you're on top of that. You want to maybe start us off? Just I just want people to give their thoughts on what's happening and sort of where do we go from here? Well, in terms of what's going on there, I, yeah, I just got news reports like everyone else. I, what I need to do is uh, find out more information, just what's going on there and who's involved and, and so on, right? But uh, as, as things stand right now, like there's, uh, there's not a huge amount of information that's, uh, that's come out about that whole thing, what, what took place and uh, who was involved and, and so on, right? But uh, so I, I'm in a situation where I want to find out more what's going on. Yeah, I don't uh, disagree with you. I think it's a little early to be able to make any definitive uh, or take any definitive positions on it, but on the other hand, uh, if we're going to start and see how people react to situations, uh, this is the time we start watching. Uh, Art, what have you got to say on that? Who? Art Betke. Oh, 
me, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I don't know enough about it either, just what I saw on the news. Uh, the people uh, were masked in camouflage, so uh, I guess maybe they weren't too proud of what they were doing or else they didn't want to get charged. Uh, a little bit different than a peaceful protest, that's for sure. And uh, I think, you know, they're trying to frighten uh, people from, you know, maybe not working there or something. Uh, uh, one way or another, they plan on stopping it. Yeah. Well, again, we'll, we'll see how, uh, how it goes. Uh, Albert, do you want to say a few words on that? Uh, yeah, thank you. I just have seen some pictures, and it looks... Um pretty drastic uh, so it probably would be difficult to to find out who really was involved but uh, uh, I think um, we should uh, those who, who were involved really take them and uh, <coughs> they have to be punished as everybody else but uh, it's a very dicey thing so we'll see what, what comes out within the next few days Okay Herb that comes to you what have you got to say about it? Yeah, not much to add from anybody else, but, um, yeah, it's a very sad and counterproductive action that uh, doesn't uh, doesn't move this uh, issue forward one bit for anyone. So, yeah, just a total waste of time. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll probably have to watch closely and see how often they use the word terrorist on this one, as opposed to the one back east. So... Uh, I think we're just going to swing over from there, and I, and I want to get into the uh, pellet plant and uh, the fact that the uh, Drax Group has apparently got almost 50-some-odd percent of the pellet business in British Columbia, and uh, they're actually going to try to get them under the Monopolies Act or something. And I think, Peter, you're up to speed on that, so maybe you can just give us an overview of what's happening there. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Pacific Bioenergy, uh, you know, its, it's pellet plant uh, closes a loss of 55 jobs. And uh, the Pacific Bioenergy, it's, it's owned by uh, Drax, the, the Drax uh, Corporation, which is a, a global corporation, you know, based in the U.K., but which owns seven of uh, the 13 pellet uh, facilities in British Columbia, two-thirds of the nearly... 2.5 million tons of pellets produced in BC are produced by uh, by Drax, and uh, it produces 44 percent of the Canada-wide production. You know, so you have a you have a situation whereby the uh, it's a it's a highly monopolized um, industry, and so you have this situation um, whereby uh, there's claims for, from a number of sources that. Uh, uh, Raw logs are being used to, and, and even some primary forests are being used to uh, make pellets, right? Which, uh, you know, for many people, this is a real problem, you know, because of, um, you know, the, the export of raw logs is, is bad enough, but, uh, the, you know, this is uh, in the same category in that regard. So, um, what we have is a, a situation whereby there's uh, some groups who've uh, uh, put forth a proposal to the or putting forth a proposal to the Competition Bureau, and these are, these groups are Conservation North, which is an environmental organization, the Public and Private Workers of Canada uh, Union, and uh, Unifor. And so, what they're asking for is that the Competition Bureau look into the monopolization 
of the pellet sector and specifically Drax's uh, control over it. Uh, they're looking to get an independent expert to assess how many raw logs are actually being used in these facilities to made into pellets. And uh, they're, they're asking uh, Drax to divest some of its holdings. And so, so one of the things here that comes up again and again is BC has some of the highest quality and most diverse forests in the world. That there seems to be an inverse relation, you know, in the sense that the, the, the more high quality and more diverse our forests are, the, the, the less value is gotten out of the uh, wood in terms of the less diversity of the product and less value out of the wood. So it's, uh, it, is a, it is a problem and it's uh, an issue of concern in this you know, current situation whereby um, Drax apparently uh, got a hold of uh, 675 million in sales contracts from Pacific Bioenergy and then just a few days later uh, closes the facility. You know, so lots of stuff happening. Do we know offhand? Uh, I know I don't. Uh, I haven't found it. Is that is that the mill in Prince George or the one in Dunkley that they're shutting down? Uh, not sure on that one. Maybe someone else knows. Art, do you know? I thought it was the one in Prince George, but I'm not sure either. Yeah, go ahead, Art, if you got any thoughts on this. Yeah, well, there's a lot of misleading talk about this. First of all, yeah, I can understand the concern that, uh, you know, a monopoly situation. Uh, but... Really, when you have a, a pellet mill and you want to sell it, who else is going to buy it? You need somebody with deep pockets and, a, and an interest in producing the pellets, and so Drax qualifies for that. Uh, and then the other misleading part is uh, this whole log thing. Yeah, they might be taking whole logs, but they are not high-quality logs. You can't get anything better out of these things except maybe pulp. And even then, uh, we, we have a lot of high quality and diverse uh, types of trees okay, in, in our province, but we have uh, an awful lot of older trees, rotten trees. All that pine that uh, died so many years ago from the beetle, it's uh, deteriorated to the point where you can't make lumber out of a lot of it anymore. It's not good for anything but chips or pellets. So, yeah, when, when they logged specifically for the pellet, plant, if they do have good trees, good timber, that gets sold or traded to the regular sawmills. So. Okay, Art, we're going to have to take a break here now and uh, come back. We'll get uh, Albert to say a few words. Two Rivers Art Gallery invites artists from across BC to share their perspective on immigration through visual arts in any medium. Work might consider challenges, accomplishments, future aspirations, and other themes that speak to immigration and to its impact individually, culturally, and nationally. Application information and full details are available through tworiversgallery.ca. It's a call for submissions on immigration for Two Rivers Art Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Deadline, March 14th. Theatre Northwest is holding general auditions on March 13th in Prince George for artists residing in northern B.C. Theatre Northwest will also be hosting a free workshop on how to prepare for a professional theatre audition on Sunday, March 6th. More information on the audition workshop can be found through the link under Shows and Events at theaternorthwest.com. To sign up for or for more information about the auditions, email auditions at theaternorthwest.com. The Prince George Council of Seniors needs drivers for their Meals on Wheels program. Drivers are needed one per week from about 10.30 to noon to deliver hot meals to homebound clients. To volunteer, you must be double vaccinated for COVID, have friendly manners, a valid driver's license, a room 
reliable vehicle and go through a criminal record check. For, for more information or to volunteer for Meals on Wheels program, email nicole.pgcos at gmail.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, cloudy with a 30% chance of showers. Wind from the south of 20K gusting to 40, a high of 4. Tonight, a few showers ending after midnight, then cloudy, a low of 2. On Saturday, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers or flurries late in the afternoon, and a high of 3. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're talking about the... uh Pellet plants being shut down in the Prince George area and, you know, what sort of effect it's going to have <clears throat> with Prince George in the long haul. I'm going to go to Albert Kohler now and uh, get his views on it. Well, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I guess we would have to look at, um, at a broader view of what's happening in the forest industry. And uh, we're in trouble. Um, and um, it includes uh, probably the pellet plants as well. Uh, I attended just recently um, a meeting where uh, John Rustad was speaking, and the result was, uh, uh, coming out of this, that, uh, uh, you know, our sawmills and pulp mills, I shouldn't say what it was, but he said, it's not worth anything. Nobody would buy it because they are just hanging in there. Uh, There's a danger that we lose a pulp mill or two in this region. Uh, Sawmills are... Know, shut it, not shutting down completely, completely, but um, <coughs> turning, <coughs> reducing the production. The question is, where are we, uh, and where are we going with our forest industry? Um, that's a tough one, and that includes, no doubt, uh, the the pellet plants. Um, I don't know exactly who owns which one, but it's it just it's a big picture in the forestry and. Uh, that has to be considered. Good, thanks. Uh, Herb, you want to give us your view on that? Yeah, uh, uh, Mr. Kohler's uh, right. There's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of confusion in the BC forest industry right now, and uh, we do need an inquiry into uh, regulating what's, what's going on because um, it's not a surprise that uh, Drax has uh, achieved a monopoly position in the pellet uh, plant uh, Situation because if you look at the rest of timber uh, in, in this province, um, you've got Canfor, West Fraser, and Interfor that control almost two thirds of all the timber in BC. Uh, you know, uh, if we look at uh, uh, twenty, uh, just over twenty years ago, twenty-five years ago, from ninety-four to ninety-eight, the forest industry uh, returns two point seven billion dollars in today's dollars to the uh, to the government in revenue. On average, and um, Susan Yurkovich uh, last year proudly stated uh, that uh, the uh, forest industry is now supplying four hundred million dollars in annual revenue to the to the provincial government. So you know when when the the cost of fighting fires uh, has averaged over four hundred and seventy million dollars a year for the last five years, uh, we we need to take a serious look at this industry and see where we're going. Um, there's, um, you know, in, in addition to losing all this revenue, and basically it's uh, about uh, just over 10% or 15% of what it was 20 years ago, we've also lost half the jobs in the industry. So uh, the, other th- the other thing we do have to look at is uh, only of, of all the wood um, uh, uh, sold uh, in, this, in this province, only 20% of it's sold at auction. Uh, the rest of it is um, uh, uh, 
given to uh, companies uh, under uh, various uh, uh, stumpage uh, appraisal systems, which are opaque at best and um, obviously uh, are not even paying the bills for uh, taxpayers. So, uh, yeah, we need, a, we need a complete overhaul, and I would suggest we need free competition in the log market. I think that would solve a lot of the problems. It would stop uh, whole logs from being turned into pellets, which is obscene. Okay. Now, Herb brings up an interesting point there because, you know, we, we all have different ideas on what we need. And, but the problem I have, who do we have in government, at what level of government, that's going to do anything about it? Like, who has a responsibility? Who's going to take the steps and say, we're going to look into this and get back to you? Or are we just going to get another news story tomorrow and we're not going to hear a thing about it? I personally don't think that we have competent people in either uh, the opposition or the government to basically, you know, get out and start working on this situation. We know what the problem is. Actually, if you think about it for a minute... Where we're spending billions of dollars on uh, exporting natural gas, and that's the coming thing, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and wood pellets are used for basically the same thing the natural gas is, and that's to generate uh, electricity in other countries. So what are we doing? Are, are we building the natural gas as a competition to the wood pellet industry, or are we using the wood pellet industry as competition to natural gas? We should get out of one or the other rather than be in both. Because what it means if we stay in both is we use the wood until we run out and then we carry on with natural gas. We should probably use the wood in the forest industry to create jobs here in uh, British Columbia and use the natural gas overseas. To me, that's that's not too difficult to figure out. So anybody got any idea who's going to solve this and a lot more problems in government these days? I'd like to know who it is. We'll start with... Uh, Mr. Kohler, because he's been a politician in the past. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, I have for seven years uh, uh, locally. Uh, but um, yeah, it's 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 true. Uh, getting involved in gas and 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 logging and in forestry uh, is a problem. Um, I'm I'm looking at uh, forestry, for instance. The prices go up. Um, the logs are being hauled in from far away, and. Uh, we can already for, foresee what is going to happen as long as we don't really uh, seriously look at what else can we do with our logs. Secondary manufacturing. Everybody was talking about your secondary manufacturing, but things are not happening. We got this Wood Innovation and Design Center that was uh, um, set up what, years ago for a master um, program but that's backwards because to have a master program, for instance, sorry when I pick on this now, you have to have a feeding program. And we didn't have the feeding program. In order to get students, for instance, into a master program, you need a, a feeding program that would be the undergraduate program. And that's coming slowly now. Uh, we didn't have people who could uh, lead this master program. I personally got involved, and we have now two people. Sorry, when I say they they are Germans. They studied in Germany wood manufacturing or what have you uh, to get this master program going. That is sorry when I say it uh, a little bit of a mess. Uh, when we look at forestry, we have to look at what do we do with the logs, what do we do with the trees, other than. Uh, pellets and other than shipping them uh, out somewhere and other than two by four. There is more than that. 
I go to Costco or somewhere else and want to buy a floor, and it's made in Finland, it's made in uh, Austria, it's made in Germany. It should be all made here. We have all the wood. So there's something wrong big time, and I don't know why we cannot turn this around. Okay, we're going to take a break now, and uh, then we'll be back and kick this can a little further down the road. OceanWise has launched its Canada-wide search for the next wave of 170 youth and young professionals to join the Ocean Bridge Leadership and Ocean Service Program. Details and applications are available at bridge.ocean.org. Ocean Bridge connects Canadian youth from coast to coast to coast, empowering them with life and professional skills, supporting lasting civic engagement essential for oceans to remain healthy. Youth ages 18 to 30 are invited to apply through March 11th at bridge.ocean.org. Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and Theatre Northwest are once again hosting Gin Blossom, a speakeasy fundraiser. On Saturday, March 12th, Theatre Northwest will be transformed into a 1920s-style speakeasy. Dress in 1920s-era fashion or come as you are. Service will start at 8.30 with last call at midnight. Gin Blossom, a speakeasy fundraiser in support of Theatre Northwest and Big Brothers and Big Sisters, Saturday, March 12th at Theatre Northwest. Tickets are available at theaternorthwest.com. Registration for the 2022 BC Indigenous Wrestling Development Camp is now open. This two-day provincial event is being held on March 5th and 6th at Simon Fraser University. Indigenous youth ages 10 through 17 are invited to participate with all skill levels welcome. Registration is free and available online through iSpark.ca. In partnership with BC Wrestling and with support from the province of BC, the BC Indigenous Wrestling Development Camp, March 5th and 6th at SFU. Registration deadline is 4 p.m. March 1st. Theatre Northwest has a great spring break workshop for ages 14 to 25. Playwriting for Youth with Julian Legere is for youth interested in theatre with a story to tell. Participants will explore the fundamentals of storytelling and playwriting and draft their own 10-minute play. For more information or to sign up, visit the Playwriting and Theatre Youth Camp link under Shows and Events at theaternorthwest.com. Playwriting for Youth with Julian Legere, starting March 21st at Theatre Northwest. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Yeah, we're back, and uh, maybe I'll go to you, Art. Do you want to give us, if you got some ideas how we could spark the uh, forest industry around here and create some more jobs rather than... It seems that what we're really, really good at uh, in B.C. is eliminating jobs. We're probably a world leader in that area, but... Uh, <laughs> Other than that, we're not doing very well. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, if we didn't eliminate the jobs, there wouldn't be any jobs at all. You have to compete, and and that's how they do it. Our industry survived and grew because we were the most uh, advanced technologically for harvesting and processing and uh, saving, uh, getting recovery out of our logs in the world. Um, Now, what's happening now, I... The government is trying to reinvent their resource industries, and uh, including the way we uh, do practice forestry. But they're kind of shy on details. I know that they keep talking about value added and uh, doing things like that, and not doing it the way we have. And I'm afraid that when government starts trying to run things, when they try to direct the economy from the top down, 
it's, there's a history of disaster and things like that, and I'm afraid of what they're coming up with. I don't think it's going to work well. I think it'll be worse. They like to say, oh, yeah, well, IKEA will do like IKEA did in Sweden. Well, IKEA has grown. They have uh, branch plants all over the world. Most of their stuff is manufactured in China. Uh, that's not really making jobs locally. Yeah, uh, so, I, yeah go ahead. Yeah. I think the problem is that is that we lack a province building project, and, and nationwide we, we lack a nation building project. Because right now the the project, you know, that exists in British Columbia is that the the big forest companies, the big business, uh, sets the uh, project agenda, and the the politicians like just to answer your question, Eric, the politicians follow suit, and we need to change that situation. We need to have a, a province building project which looks at and marshals, you know, the natural resources we have, the abundant natural resources, the, the skills of the workforce and the, of the business and, and so on, in a, in a, in a uh, province-building project that uh, can move things ahead, like uh, in terms of, and we need to, we need to identify where we're at. And I, I agree with, uh, with what Herb is saying uh, about having an inquiry of some kind. but. Uh, the problem that exists right now is that globalized companies who have very little or no uh, allegiance to uh, our province or our communities, they're the ones setting the agenda. And so we need to, we need to develop a situation whereby workers, small and medium business, uh, the forest professionals, the indigenous people, and so on, that, that we have a, a, a thrust that proceeds from their interests and from where they want to go, and we need mechanisms to bring this about. Is that you, John Horgan? What's oh. that? <laughs> no, John Horgan is not doing it. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. He's not doing it, though. He's well, not he just started. <laughs> like, in terms of a, the who's setting the agenda in British Columbia, it's the big companies. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, we got, uh, you know, uh, Lumber companies giving up their TFLs in Fort Nelson and selling off and shutting down different things, and then they turn around and build a pellet plant, and uh, or they're in the process of building one, and then those pellets are going to go partly to, uh, or uh, they got a cogen plant going there anyway, and then it's going to uh, generate the electricity to run all the computers that are totally run without any manpower at all to generate uh, uh, or to solve these algorithm problems for Bitcoin. So we're going to go through that whole situation for nothing. There's no jobs there for us. Um, go ahead, Albert. Yeah. Looking from on the bigger picture and, and see what can be done in BC, um, I think that's important. Uh, how come that all uh, smaller communities, outlying communities, shrink? It should be the other way around. There has to be a big um, overarching plan to see how can we work with our smaller communities? How can we make sure that Houston's and Smithers and all other communities not shrink but grow? And that means we have to bring business to them and not just to print charge. Print charge grew by what, for whatever, 4% or so whatever it is, or maybe more. But uh, we have to have a bigger picture. We have to look at mines. There are no mine uh, uh, opened over the last, uh, what, year or so. Everything we have and own is coming out of the ground. So we should focus on our resources and use them in a meaningful way. Yeah, I would agree with that, but I think we have to go beyond that, too, to uh, kind of diversify, not 
just what we do, but how we think. Yeah. I think our thinking is, is you know, we put handcuffs on ourselves and walk around saying, you know, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago that they had the BC Rail to open up industry and move things along. And uh, if they wanted logs in Prince George, they'd had log trains coming from uh, the Dees Island uh uh, extension off of BC Rail, bring them into Rustad's yard, sorting yard, take some of them down to Quinell for the uh, OS and B plant there. And, uh, you know, they can bring uh, logs across the, the lake at Babine and for the Houston Mill, and they could do anything they want. I mean, this is a 22nd century or whatever it is. So, but somehow or other, we can't get fiber to the Taylor Mill. And so it's going to shut down for six weeks. That's totally unbelievable, especially when we got fiber all around that area. I think it's more a decision that they're not going to put it there for whatever business reasons. But of course we could do it. We built the pulp mills here. We had all the sawmills. We did it all. And we didn't lose all that. It was just that we don't have access to the decision making anymore. So anybody else want to comment? Yeah, we, we, we have the loggers. We have the sawmillers. Uh, but we don't have is the access to the wood. I mean, basically, the large corporations have sewn it all up. So, you know, the, that's and that is uh, as a result of government policy. The Ministry of Forests uh, only auctioning off 20% of the wood every year. So we need uh, government to get involved. We need them to open up competition. We need uh, we need free competition again in the forest industry. And um, don't tell me that uh, we can't make money with uh, two by four prices right now at twelve hundred bucks U.S. It's it, it's incredible, and and we're still losing population and jobs. It's it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of the population, we're getting close to the end of the line here. But the the uh, article in the paper about four percent increase in uh, Prince George population. I don't like to pop too many balloons on one day, but that four percent is extrapolated over five years, 2016 census to the 2021 census. <clears throat> when you look at it on a year-by-year basis, it's about 1.3% increase. And when you take off the number of babies that were born during the same period of time, we're talking about a very, very little increase, about two or 300 people. So it didn't grow that much in five years, folks. And that's about it for today. And I want to thank everybody for being on the panel. People that were listening to us. And uh, I'll be back on Tuesday morning with uh, After 9. And uh, we'll have another go at it. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community.